Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Uh, welcome to Mindspace this week. Uh, we're going into the Marvel Universe. We have Mr. Clark Gregg, who everybody knows from the MCU uh, and from the ABC television series uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Agent Phil Coulson, one of the more personable characters in the Marvel Universe. So uh, I'm excited to have him here today. I'm here with uh, the producer, Garrett. How are you? Good. How about you? Doing all right. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Clark is a really, really bright and uh, engaging actor and um i got to know him you know over the years uh from some of the marvel sets and also from uh comic-con doing some of the panels i he was a guest on the thor panel i moderated back uh when chris hemsworth got introduced as thor at comic-con um that was a great day and uh it's really fun to see what a big part of the university has become you know and so here's our interview with clark Gregg. You know, the last time that we talked, um, we had such a great conversation. I, I, I so enjoyed uh, hearing you talking about uh, acting and also directing because of the project that you were doing at the time. You know, so much has happened since then. I mean, the amazing success of, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, five great seasons and, and the great fi uh, finale and everything. Colson Academy, I love that. That's fantastic. That was like one of my favorite touches. Um, it just must have been such a... Um, a wide and uh, wild experience for you. I mean, that's such a, uh, a roller coaster. It really is. It's uh, one of the ways I know that is that I, I, I realize now uh, there actually was the sixth and seventh kind of compressed 13 episode seasons, but that it was six and a half, almost seven years. And it kind of blew by like a shot because for most of the time we would only have off kind of two, two and a half months a year and really just be doing that pace the rest of the time yeah but it but so it was also very odd to have been finished for over a year and then to have the the seventh season air uh during during the uh the kind of quarantine lockdown uh which was kind of nice to have it kind of bounce back and have something to do there uh it was a, it was a quite a journey and as you said uh i had a, i had an awful lot of fun making those movies and you know made my peace with my departure and then to get that call and kind of be thrown back into that and have six or seven years go by very quickly Yeah, <laughs> uh, with something else. I mean, that's amazing. Um, and of course, you know, uh, with all the things that are going on now with, uh, with the expansion of Marvel on uh, Disney Plus and all the different films, uh, uh, of course we could see your character back anytime. Um, and, and one of the things that, uh, uh, it's got to be heartening, I would think, is that in the pages of Marvel Comics, uh, you know, Coulson has a great storyline uh, in, you know, more recent months where 
he becomes a major bad guy. Um, I know you can't really talk about uh, anything that if it was going on, but it must be nice to have a character that has such vitality and and uh, seems to be such a figure of interest to writers still. It's so flattering. It's, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't take all the credit for it because God knows so many terrific writers and filmmakers really put their mark on who the guy is. Uh, but the fact that there is still this interest and I've been watching WandaVision and really enjoying it and um, seeing the way that the fans kind of piece together things that connect to S.H.I.E.L.D. or possibly connect to Coulson is, it's just, it's just so fun. It's so fun to watch the way that they're telling stories in different ways now and their kind of version of TV, which is streaming. And I'm so excited for um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, it is a really exciting time. And, and uh, it can go off in so many different directions. And, and I think one of the really interesting things too is that with Coulson, you have a character who was not really in the pages of Marvel Comics uh, and now has so resonated with fans through uh, film and through television that he has gone into, he's reversed the natural order of things and gone into comics. Uh, that's gotta be special too, because just the, the context of Marvel history and all that. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I loved, I, I loved some Marvel comics as a kid. So the first time they brought me, I think it was Battle Scars, one of the issues, and there was this guy Coulson in there. I was kind of relieved because there had been some outcry, but people were a little, you know, some of the comic book fans were like, "This guy is our intro to Shield. This guy, <laughs> who is he? He's not in the comics." I thought these guys are going to get me killed. I got to, I got to find a way to get into the comics. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's a tough crowd. That's a tough crowd. But, you know, in a way, I, I think uh, one of the really kind of uh, ironic things about that complaint is that uh, Coulson, especially in the Avengers, became such a surrogate for the fans. I mean, he really represents, he's the guy on the team that's kind of puts the fan in the room. Yeah, it certainly was one of the great things that Joss came up with, which was that he's got his own cards. He's really... He grew up idolizing Cap. He's a fanboy, you know, mm -hmm. foxing around the edges, just that whole, he geeks out when he meets Cap. It's just, it's kind of, I was like, of course. Yeah. And it didn't feel put on. It felt like, of course he is. Yeah. Well, it had like a real resonance to it too. And, and, uh, and tragedy. And, and, you know, it's so sad that that's the last time we saw that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you fared well for a guy that got bumped off in the Avengers. You know, you've uh, got a lot of mileage out of out of the character, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think he, I think I died five or six times during the run of Agents of Shield. As I say in season seven, um, before I'm kind of in, in the middle of a suicide mission as an LMD, I say, "Yeah, dying is kind of my superpower." <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's a great line, and then it really does sum up. I mean, in you know, one of the things about comic books is everybody dies all the time. I mean, it's such a, it's such a strange thing. I, I don't know that there's any major character that in Marvel or DC that hasn't been killed off and brought back. And it's such a, a strange shared experience, like when they have cocktail parties or whatever, like everybody in the room has been dead uh, and is back. You know, it's kind of a strange, uh, you know, career uh, uh, facet. I certainly something that I think Lou Esposito had said to me on the day we were shooting 
uh, Coulson getting shanked by Loki, like, oh, come on, it's the comics. How dead can you be? And <laughs> later in the day, I was like, there's a lot of blood on the floor. <laughs> there's a lot of blood. And this is Disney. I mean, that's a lot. Of, this is really dead for Disney. He's like, yeah, doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> it really didn't. Uh, it's, it's quite the turnaround. It, that was such a fun time, too. You know, um, uh, I was lucky enough to visit that set uh, and uh, you know, you could really feel things coming together and, you know, or going back even before that to Comic-Con uh, with, with the big lineup panel. Um, it's hard to express for people that weren't there, like how uh, new and strange and exciting and, and different this experience was, what, you know, what Marvel was doing. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I don't know why, because I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, well, God, I grew up loving some really, you know, this Chris Reeve Superman movies and, and, and um, the Batman series with Keaton and Nicholson. I mean, this wasn't something they hadn't done before and it wasn't something they hadn't done with really good actors, but there was something, I don't know, there was something about the way Marvel introduced the individual characters and then brought them together for the group book, for the Avengers. Yeah. And it also, it, it really felt, I don't know, it just felt like the way comics worked in a slightly different way. And the tone of it felt more kind of irreverent, funny, and also moving Marvel tone. Yeah. And I, I don't know, just as someone who, who was, I was excited to see Iron Man. So I couldn't believe when they put me in it and then started adding some scenes. But, but then I, and Thor, I thought, okay, well, it's one thing to do the sexy billionaire philanthropist guy with the suit, but I mean, Thor? Oh, I know. The God, of, the God of Thunder. And they just kept topping themselves. And you go, well, I keep waiting for this train to derail, but it, you know, and then you see Chris playing Cap and you go, okay, I don't know. This might make it to the Avengers. I don't know. And um, so the way that they all pulled that off was really remarkable. It really is. And you're right. Thor was the one, that was the one that I thought had the most wobble, you know, uh, conceptually. I thought it was the one that was the riskiest um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the guy, it's the Norse God of thunder. And he, he talks like, uh, in the comics, like, a you know, a summer stock, uh, Shakespeare, uh, summer stock kind of actor or, uh, yay verily and all that. And, you know, I thought there was no chance. And, uh, but, uh, I, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Feige, you gotta really give him credit for it. And he said, seeing much ado about nothing, uh, the Kenneth Branagh movie, the great, great, Kenneth Branagh film um, was the reason that he, he brought Kevin in. I mean, uh, uh, Ken in. Joss. No, I was talking about Thor. Uh, oh, 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 um, Chris. Uh, Kenneth Branagh? I, I meant the oh, Kenneth Branagh. Oh, see, yeah. Ken's version of Much Ado. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's such a, I thought Thor was such an uh, unlikely, you know, property to succeed, but that, that was such a deft move to, to see that, uh, Kenneth Branagh would be the guy to do that movie. It just. I mean, what Kevin has accomplished with the help of the amazing other people, Victoria and Lou and different people along the way is just, it's really hard to wrap your head around. You don't see that kind of batting average. You see how hard it's, how much struggle there has been on, on the other squad trying to do something similar. So what he's, what they've done, I think is, they've changed storytelling. 
in terms of people are watching WandaVision and they're bringing so much investment into every element because they're, they're invested in this gigantic tapestry that they've been following for eight or 10 years now. And I mean, I guess the other thing that strikes me is you look back on the way that everyone, everyone that they cast from, I mean, Chris Hemsworth, what he's done with the comedy. Oh yeah. And, and, and the charisma, and I mean, you know, everything else and, and every single, every single one hired people who really took this, not as, you know, slumming it in comics, but Shakespeare to go back to what we were saying. And really, I, I'm just so blown away by what everybody has done. Jeremy, I mean, just, it, it's really, it's, it's amazing. It was an amazing thing to be part of. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's it sort of defies uh, all the conventions that preceded it. And, and you know, the, I think the, you know, you were saying before, why, why was it different? You know, I think part of it is that uh, Hollywood traditionally took a comic book and say, and, and would say, how do we make it look like a movie? But I think by the time that Kevin, um, you know, and, and Favreau started on Iron Man, the first one, I think their goal was to see how you can make a movie into a comic book, you know? Um, and they, they didn't set aside a lot of the things that that made Marvel and, and comic books great. They, they embraced them wholly. And, and Kevin had such good instincts about what to hold on to. You know, like you talk about Thor, for 40 years in comics, Thor would tap his hammer on the ground and it would turn into a cane and he would become Dr. Donald Blake, you know, uh, 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 a disabled uh, surgeon. Uh, and, you know, Kevin's like, no, we're just gonna get rid of that. You know, and, and nobody talks about that, but that was a huge decision. Like that- No, that but he also, he also put, it's, it's one of my favorite lines that Colson ever says, um, and it kind of gets swallowed by a, a laugh on the line before it. But at the end of Thor, when he's kind of realized you know, who he is, and he's just maybe killed the destroyer. Um, Colson says, you haven't been completely honest with me, Donald. Yeah. And yeah. I think, see, but they're still giving a shout out to people know, we're, look, we're not saying that didn't happen. We're just saying we're doing something different with it. Exactly, exactly. It's not ignorance or disdain. It's just a, a, a choice. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a storytelling choice. Um, and, you know, really, if you, if you think about it, uh, Marvel has destroyed, in a way, the tradition of the, uh, the secret identity uh, for superheroes. Because, I mean, other than Spider-Man, there's not really anybody holding on to the whole, you know, uh, switching identities. You don't have the whole Clark Kent or Bruce Wayne thing that I mean, it's so central to the DC characters and Marvel, partly because of the Robert Downey Jr. ad lib, you know, where he just says, I am Iron Man, you know. Um, it's such a great move. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, look, to whatever extent, uh, from what I saw when I was there, I, I, there, is, there was a trust, there was a trust uh, that, that I'm sure Kevin and John put in Robert, because that's a brilliant instinct. It's a brilliant idea. It really is. And it changes the whole thing going forward. I mean, to me, so much of the template was being designed in, in that movie. Uh, the things that really worked with it. And it's, you're right, it really, that part of it was going to be really hard to hold on to. It, it, it makes it, 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 it tests the, uh, you know, the credibility of the performers on the screen. Like for me, like 
in every Superman movie, the, you know, the, well, the first Superman movie, they, uh, you will believe a man can fly, you know, that was the big tagline and, and a, a great one it was. But for me, the hardest thing to believe is that everybody didn't recognize Clark Kent as Superman, you know, like, it's not the, the special effects that end up costing the movie, it's sort of, uh, you know, connection with the, the audience, it's, it's this trope of, now I put on glasses and people don't know who I am. Uh, yeah. You know, so to get away from all that, except with, you know, Spider-Man, who has the, the fact that he's a, a kid, you know, and so that adds a whole different aspect to it and actually makes sense um, in that case, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, as far as the, uh, the way that you left the character, I mean, uh, the last time we saw Agent Coulson, he was, he was doing pretty well and he was uh, taken off and um, is, uh, uh, were you happy with, where the character landed uh, the, at, at the end of everything, uh, as far as the narrative and the, just the, the life path? I mean, I was, I got, I had got to do so many fun things. I get to be, you know, I really enjoyed being this kind of possessed alter ego yeah. killer in season six. And it was the whole, I mean, I'm a huge Blade Runner fan. So I loved kind of, I, I loved the idea of trying to figure out who he was as an LMD, which is another long-term Marvel trope. And him trying to wrestle with what it's like to be this being who feels, he feels very similar to what he felt like as a human. So he's very confused by it all. Uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I thought I was done at the end of season five. And then they brought me back in these two other iterations and they're all, each was really fun. I was, uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little sad when they said, yeah, no, you're really gonna be dead and we're gonna bring back an AI. But you know, everything's possible. Um, oh. I've had to say goodbye to the guy so many times. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty great, but to have this kind of super advanced version of Lola and him heading off to kind of, I don't know what, Go yeah, look for the cellist. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like um, the Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I remember talking to you about before was the idea of having a character who is sustained over a period of time, um, as opposed to one-offs, you know, uh, and the idea of um, the, the guardianship of that role or, or just the, the, the different exercise that is as an actor. Um, now on the other side of that, how does it feel when you uh, when you think about the acting experience with this uh, you know such a sustained character versus the more um, kind of one and done approach? Oh, it's infinitely richer, infinitely richer. I mean, I I really love. It was fun. I, I couldn't believe when. You know, you mentioned the the Comic Con intro. I was there for the first time. They asked me to be on a panel. Was for Thor, I think. And when I was backstage for that, uh, Joss came up and said, listen, I want to introduce you as part of the cast of the Avengers. Oh, by the way, you're in the Avengers. I, <laughs> I nearly died then. Um, but- uh, You know, I was your moderator. Have that, what? I was your moderator on that Thor panel. That's right. Oh my God, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we go back. That was a long um, time So I was happy just with all that, but to kind of have the relationships that evolved with the characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, that was 
we can talk about now after that was some odd experience in that we were part of one Marvel and we were going to be the kind of first team through the door into television. How are we going to try to do that? And yeah. it's ABC and it has its own parameters and its own style. And how are we going to bring that in a way that doesn't feel like a much smaller version of the movie? And I don't know, it was, it was always going to be a challenge, but then even within that, there was a kind of separation of kind of Marvel television and big Marvel and MCU. And a lot was changing kind of outside of a realm that we really had anything to do with. Yeah. And so our job was just, you know, and the writer's job to us to really do what, do the best we could with whatever was going on, you know, in that other world that wasn't really part of us. Um, and so in a way uh, it, it was strange because we, it wasn't all one thing anymore. You know, it's all connected, I think was the big pitch line on season one. Yeah. And it became a little bit less connected at a certain point. And, you know, as people tried to work out what that is. So I'm glad for the people involved now that it is kind of one thing and that they can kind of have stories that I can't wait to see the next round, Captain Marvel 2. I can't wait to see the way some of these characters on some of these shows play back into that. And Yeah, absolutely. And, and also the with the budgets on the show, um, on these shows too, is that these feel like they live somewhere between uh, cinema and, and television. Uh, they, they feel like a new type of storytelling. Also. Yeah, which I, should, which I should add to what I just said, because in a way, those difficulties I just described were also part of the way the television and films have been evolving toward each other. Yeah. You know, whatever streaming is, that's the, that's the child and that's, you know, I was struck by the way that Game of Thrones was wrapping up its 10 years right about when Endgame was kind of ending the 10 year kind of that cycle of Marvel and people were 10 years invested in these stories and they really seem to like that. Yeah. I know I do. I mean, there's a way where you have this investment in these characters uh, that's different. And the way we consume stories is different. Everyone was for years was talking about kind of shorter attention spans but if anything, it's, they were wrong. It seems to have gone the other way. Oh yeah, that's an interesting point. You're right. Um, people definitely like the the immersive, comprehensive uh, kind of fabric of all of it. You know, like uh, knowing all the different things and and the you know of course Hollywood, uh, you know the studios love the fact that the you know these universes are full of not just characters but you know potential action figures and and, and toys and crafts and all that. So I mean the the immersiveness of it is is uh, one of the reasons that Marvel is such a dynamo. Yeah, and I know people who are like no, I'm not watching that. They only put it out every week. I'm going to wait till the end of the season because I want to watch them all. Mm -hmm. Like they're just friends of mine aren't having that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is the the big story. Uh, definitely is the is the is the the defining currency right now. It is fascinating, and and with the with those two finales, like it shows the stakes, you know, Game of Thrones and and with Endgame, the high stakes of you know sort of sticking that landing as well. Mm -hmm. You know. Yes. 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 <laughs> so, well, fantastic, man. And and what about um, you know one of the things that I always try to ask uh, try to ask people about is. Um, what they see is like the biggest challenge in their craft right now, or, or maybe the biggest opportunity. What for you as an actor, 
um, do you see as the, the thing that you're most excited about or maybe the thing that you're most uh, concentrated on, on uh, addressing? Well, I mean, for, for most of the people I know, we have been deprived of the opportunity to work. Yeah. Like they're just, I've done a couple of, I've done a couple of dramatic podcasts. I did a, a film that takes place uh, on screens so that I never had to be in the same room with any other actors. And that was, oh wow. it was really not, I mean, it was really cool and interesting, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I like. You know, it isn't what there's, there's a very, the proximity is, it's, you know, is unnatural in an acting space, the same way it's on the lack of proximity is, uh, I meant to say, is unnatural uh, for humans. Yeah. It, it isn't right. And so, you know, the times when I even got to do those scenes, learning some dialogue and digging into those scenes, even, even that, I was like, oh my God, I miss this so much. So, you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, at some point, and some things are going back to work, but it's not easy and they shut down a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping to go back to work where we're all vaccinated and we all get to go back to something that feels a little bit more like what we're used to. Oh yeah, I know, I know what you mean. And, and isn't it like, it seems like it's uh, uh, almost um, perverse that, you know, at this time in our history where we have things, you know, the most polarizing politics, uh, we're coming off the, you know, the most polarizing few years of the politics ever probably, and, you know, coming, uh, dealing with the, uh, we're just addressing the in racial injustice and the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Like this is a time when people should be like embracing each other. Like the, the thing that you most wanna do in the face of all that is to make sure that you go over and meet your neighbor. And, and talk to them. And it's the one thing you can't do because of COVID. Uh, it's almost like, a, uh, just like I said, it's, it's a perverse wrinkle to this modern moment that we live in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to notice that at a moment when there is so much of the polarization and kind of isolation into our subsets going on, that that's happening in a moment when we're all so separated from each other. Yeah and not physically able to be in proximity as much safely. Uh, exactly. It's a time when I feel like we need stories. We need storytelling. I think it's been, it's been, you know, it's, it's been cool to watch some shows that I thought got attention that might not have because they happen to be, have been, you know, done in a time when they could come out and be seen. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, most of the people I know, myself included, were desperate to get back to work, to yeah. kind of take all this energy, all the things. I, I have this theory that, you know, for all of the things that have been so awful about this time, and I kind of get annoyed when I'm asked to think of the things I'm grateful about it, but it's, it's, it's legit. There is a way where people have been forced into a pause that you can't imagine happening any other way. Yeah. No way would anyone have stopped their lives this much. And it's put a lot of people in hardship. And frankly, a lot of people, there's, you know, there's this kind of concept of Hollywood being this filled with kind of wealthy elite people. And it's, it's not my experience. It's filled with a lot of working people who love storytelling and love film. And 
certainly, you know, a small percentage of people make a lot of money, but the vast, vast majority is just working people who don't have a fallback, who can't, yeah. you know, manage a year or two on their savings. So it's, it's, it's really, I think it's going to, everyone's going to be so hungry and grateful to get back to work. Yeah. And there's going to be some stuff to talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, boy, you can't get here fast enough. Um, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, it would be so great to have stories and storytellers and their audience connected back in a way that really feels, you know, vigorous and, and uh, alive again, you know, because it's, it's just been such a, um, just a dreary time, you know, dreary and scary. I know, I wonder, I wonder, seems like so many people I know, you know, one of the things where we talk about when we Zoom or take a walk together is what are you watching? Mm -hmm. What are you watching? And uh, I, I, I'm so curious to see all the things that are different now. And I think, I don't know, I wonder if this will have kind of connected people more deeply to the shows that they care about or yeah. changed what they want. You know, I don't know. I don't know, and it, it, or the relationship with you know movie going. I mean, that's obviously the other the other big aspect of it is is how, oh, how that God. will, uh, you know. I mean, will you know Endgame be you know that success that number at the time it it was you know uh, obviously his history making, uh, but now you wonder if it was like you know the punctuation mark. Like, uh, will it, will Hollywood ever come back to anything that big again? I mean, it's hard to know. I feel like we're so stuck in this moment of not being able to picture a true new normal coming back, but yeah. it's hard to know. It's I, I suspect at some point, and I'm saying maybe this, maybe this is two or three years from now, we will be back in something that feels very much like old normal where the virus has been managed to the point where people, it's no, it's no bigger threat than the flu and people will go to movies again in theaters if there's any left then. Right. Right, there'll be a huge churn, you know, in the business itself. Uh, but if the, uh, you know, how the activity will, will continue is is uh, that is the interesting, you know, aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, time will tell, I guess. But um, thank goodness, uh, good storytelling uh, is obviously the core of everything, and and good acting, and uh, you've been part of that uh, for a long time. So it's we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, good luck to you with the move and to your family and, and moving forward. And uh, I, I suspect we'll see Agent Colson again. I know that, uh, uh, well, I suspect we'll see him again. So I hope so. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Talk All to right. you later. Bye. Bye. Well, that was an interesting uh, conversation. I like he was saying, I'm, I'm excited for him to get back to work just because I like seeing him in things. Like uh, when he was in the Marvel movies, that was great. But then watching him really come into his own character fully in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was really a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I can sense his uh, frustration. And it's a frustration a lot of us, you know, share in different ways right now uh, with the COVID crisis. Uh, everybody's uh, wanting to get back into something that feels normal, something that feels kind of like normal life. But uh, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, entertainment and arts are one of the things that remind us of, uh, 
better times and inspiration and things like that. So it'll be even better to get uh, people back to work for those reasons as well. Yeah, I'm not excited to see all the movies and TV shows trying to tackle COVID. I hope that doesn't really take yeah. off. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, and you get the feeling nothing's ever going to be quite the same after this. You know, there's a, it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it affects the art that's made, you know, uh, over time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we'll be watching and I'm sure he'll be busy because he's a very talented guy. Yeah. It'll be fun too, I think, just to get like the convention conventions going again. Like you said, you met him at Comic-Con. Yeah, you know, down at Comic-Con uh, in San Diego, uh, I just did so many panels where I was the moderator. Um, and uh, I did the first Captain America panel where they ever introduced Chris Evans and the first Thor with Chris Hemsworth. Uh, and I did the Avengers panel when they brought them out for the first time. Um, I did the X-Men Days of Future Past panel for Fox and that had 17 people on it, uh, if I remember right. Uh, and it was like uh, Hugh Jackman and, and Halle Berry and Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Peter Dinklage and Hugh Jackman and um, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart and you know Anna Paquin, did I already say that? No. Uh, it was a, just a ridiculous amount of uh, superstars, quite honestly. Uh, and uh, you know, over the years, just doing a bunch of those panels um, was really fascinating. In fact, the only time Steven Spielberg ever went to Comic-Con, I interviewed him on stage for uh, 45 minutes, him and Peter Jackson together. And uh, it was really, really special, like being part of that at that time. I think it's one of the reasons that uh, I'm able to get so many people for this podcast is because of uh, a lot of those panels and getting to know people both as a journalist, but also as a, as a fellow panelist and, and someone who kind of shepherds them through this process, you know, because Hall H down there is uh, like 6,600 people and to walk out in front of 6,600 people is, is not always the easiest thing to do. Um, and, you know, you would think people, the celebrities would be used to that kind of thing. But if you think about somebody like Steven Spielberg, he's never done that before. You know, there's really no other forum for him to do that other than like maybe the Oscars or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, when he's on an award show. But as far as, you know, talking for an hour in front of that many people, it's kind of an unusual experience for anybody. Yeah. Um, and, and being uh, the guy and thinking he's like in charge of everything on a movie set and kind of putting it into chance to go up on a public platform like that in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. You know, and, and, uh, and just, the, it's like, it's closer to being, uh, well, you know, Spielberg, like what he does, he doesn't do in front of a live audience, you know, mm-hmm. he does in front of a camera, you know, and, and other than award shows, like, and benefits and things like that, he doesn't really have that kind of uh, stage experience. It's closer to being, um a musician like it's you know uh especially like when when they brought the avengers cast out for the first time nobody knew they were going to do that and they and they lined everybody up and it was samuel L. jackson and chris evans and chris hemsworth and you know scarlett johansson and and mark ruffalo had been signed to a contract that day to play the hulk they announced it by introducing him on stage oh wow um and i was there you know as the guy um uh who's moderating the panel and kevin feige um, it was like a, a rock concert, you know, it was like a concert broke out at a convention, like somebody had an accidental U2 show burst into existence um, <laughs> that nobody was expecting. And uh, that's really when the MCU was born in a big way was that moment, that thunderclap moment. Um, and, 
yeah, you know, and, you, I, and I do miss all that. I do miss the conventions and, and having that experience of being the person that's up there doing the interviews. Um, they don't always go well. <laughs> some of them yeah. went not, some went a little bit sideways sometimes. Um, you know, I remember having, I did one for Showtime that had the stars of Dexter, Nurse Jackie. Um, uh, who else would have been on that panel? Oh, Weeds. And um, there was one other Showtime show, and I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. But I remember that Louise, um, Mary Louise Parker, no matter what I did, she couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> like, because of the reverb in the room, the echo. Yeah. And she would just look at me, like, I don't know what you're saying. And it was, it's a, that's a really difficult way to do a panel. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and exciting and, uh, and one of the many things that uh, I miss right now. So, but yeah, I wish I could do like a highlight video of all the ones I did. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. I also, I'm jealous of all the movie sets. Like you said, I think you met Clark Gregg. Did you initially meet him at Comic-Con or on the set somewhere? I would have met him, the first time I met him would have been um, at Comic-Con. At Comic-Con, on, Comic on Thor, that's right, okay. Yeah, and then and then sort of saw him again on sets uh, over time. But um, yeah, I think uh, I, I've been on, f I think 40 movie sets, I counted, 40, 41, 42 movie sets. Wow. Uh, the first one would have been Spider-Man in, in 2000. Um, okay. The Sam Raimi, the first Spider-Man. Um, I went down and uh, went uh, and saw Tobey Maguire uh, get bit by a radioactive spider uh, in an alleyway in downtown Los Angeles. That's the shot they were shooting the day I went. It was him actually getting bit and looking down and then looking up and seeing the spider web of the spider. Um, and it was like such a magical first thing to see on first time I ever walked on a movie set in my life and that's the first thing I saw uh, and then considering uh, all the you know I wasn't specializing in, in comic-con stuff at that point um, at all I was actually the music writer I was a rock and roll writer for the LA Times I was going on tour with bands and stuff but uh, I always loved comic books I talked to my bosses into letting me do this story um, and not nobody else was that particularly interested in it because comic book movies weren't doing that well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nobody was excited about, uh, I mean, there was interest, but there hadn't really been a giant success yet, you know? Yeah. Um, it was before the release of X-Men. You know, so movie, people were talking about Mystery Men. That was like the last big comic book movie, uh, which was like, a, you know, I remember my editor saying, one of the editors saying, you sure you want to do this? I mean, Mystery Men, that's not that big a movie. And like, well, and he was comparing X-Men to Mystery Men. I said, no, you can't really compare X-Men to Mystery Men. He's like, well, what's the difference? And I'm, so I'm trying to explain the difference. And I'm the crazy one. You know, like yeah, I'm the right. one that doesn't know what they're talking about at that point. So I began this crazy journey where, you know, I've spent all these time with all these superheroes and stuff because of that. Um, hmm. But that's, uh, that's my origin story. You know? yeah, it feels like a full circle moment, marrying the journalism aspects and the comic book and everything. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it absolutely. Um, and, and with Hero Complex at the LA Times, I, I started this thing and it became like a well-known, you know, center of news for this kind of mm -hmm. genre stuff. And, and basically what it was is I was trying to do what Jan Wenner did um, in the 60s is he brought journalistic standards to cover a, a part of pop culture that everybody thought was disposable uh, and so young 
nobody thought that music mattered. You know, like if you look back, you know, people, um, if, if you liked music in your teenage years, when you got to be a grown up, you stopped caring about it. That's, that's mm -hmm. traditionally what happened. People didn't hold on to things. Like people, you know, Neil Young fans, there's people that have been Neil Young fans since the 60s. There was not, that didn't happen before. There wasn't music that people kept their whole life. They actually put music aside or they picked up new music. They didn't hold on to one artist usually for their entire, you know, sort of continuum as a pop culture consumer. Um, and that changed in the 60s when, when the Beatles and Bob Dylan, when they sort of started writing, their, when they wrote their own music, I think that was the big change. So they wrote things that they believed in. And so they became bigger to people in a way than, you know, Sinatra or Bing Crosby or people who never wrote their own songs, you know, mm -hmm. who were crafts, uh, they were considered, they were uh, professional singers and they were idolized for it and they were huge success, hugely successful for it, but they weren't, you know, voices of a generation. They weren't, uh, you know, sharing things, uh, you know, about their lives or, or about the times they lived in. That changed with, Lennon, McCartney, and, and Dylan, um, where suddenly, you know, this was going to be literature with melody. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they didn't start out for that, but that's where it ended up. And Jan Wenner, you know, introduced Rolling Stone to cover that scene in a way like, what if you covered this stuff like it really mattered? Like if rock and roll really mattered. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what Rolling Stone was. And they were the first one to do that, um, in a, you know, in that way, in that fashion. That's kind of what I wanted to do with you know, Hero Complex was to cover comics and genre stuff as if it really mattered. Like what, how would you write, write about this and report about it if you really respected it? Um, and that's different than covering it as a, a business, uh, you know, or as a, you know, it's not, it's not like covering a toy company, you know, mm -hmm. where you write about how much the toys make, but you don't really play with the toys. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I was trying to cover it like it was a scene, so. Well, yeah, it's like it's a lot of those uh, pop culture magazines or something where it's just, and just what is pop culture? That's huge. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're going to talk exactly. about comics, movies, music, books, oh, absolutely. podcasts. Yeah. It's like that's way too much to cover in one thing. So it's nice to have some like specialized areas to go to. Like Rolling Stone, yeah. like you said, like Hero, yeah. would you, what was it called? Hero Complex? Hero Complex, yeah, uh, which was a fun name. That was like half the thing, I think, was the name. Yeah. But um, it's know, a well name. Yeah, it's a fun name. Um, yeah, and it, it turned out really, really well. And we started doing a lot of events with people like we would screen movies early and I would interview the directors or stars on stage. So, and we did really big movies like, um, you know, like uh, one of the, the Harry Potter films, we showed it two weeks early, you know, oh, wow. with an interview with David Yates, the director. And that's hard to do to get, you know, uh, we showed Iron Man um, three early and for free, um, you know, uh, for 600 people and stuff like that. Um, wow. So it was really cool, the relationships I built and, and the rapport and stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it, I miss all those live events. It was a big part of what I, I was doing. Um, and I really loved it because deep down, I'm a ham. <laughs> you know, I really like it. So yeah, but we'll get back there, right? Maybe one of these days. One day, so hopefully this, uh, the vaccine really gets us back to some sort of older normal. Like yeah. you said, it's not going to change it and just go completely back, but we can get That's closer. Right. Well, we'll we will see, right? But, yeah. Uh, but this was a good one, then. Uh, appreciate your interest, and I hope the uh, listeners liked it. Yeah, this was a really good episode. So, like, unless there's anything else, uh, I guess we'll see you back here next week. Let's do it again. That sounds good. All right. Sounds good, Jeff. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good.